Hi, Crime Sound listeners. We're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky, and we're here with another true crime episode that we both researched, put together, and hosted just for you in the form of a crime salad. The information that we find is found mostly on the internet, researching court documents, articles, and local news. And who doesn't enjoy investigating true crime every Wednesday as you're working or driving your commute? Well, that's where we come in. And if you would like to help support Crime Salad, share our podcast with a friend and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or any platform you listen to podcasts on. Although it's about 90 degrees outside right now, this case hits close to home in the chilling month of January 2017. So close, in fact, we walk right past the exact same location every day during the week for work where a young man named Dakota James was last seen. This case brings you, Crime Sound Investigators, a little closer to us in Pittsburgh, PA. This is the mysterious case of Dakota James. It was a freezing cold day on January 25th, 2017, when a young, athletic, academically gifted college student named Dakota James was enjoying a fun night out with a group of co-workers for happy hour in Station Square. After happy hour, Dakota and one of his female co-workers decided to take the local city train. They stopped at a few bars before arriving at 941 Saloon, a popular LGBTQ hangout on Liberty Avenue. After a few hours, Dakota and his co-worker head to Images, another bar on Liberty Avenue, where he was refused service for being too intoxicated and given some water. He started eating someone else's left-behind slice of pizza that was laying on the bar. Eventually, Dakota begins walking home while his co-worker takes an Uber home, not knowing this would be the last time she would ever see Dakota alive. The next day, his friends go to work, but there's no Dakota. They call his phone, but there's no answer. They texted him over and over, and there's nothing. His phone is clearly off. At this point, his friends are getting worried because this isn't like Dakota. And when he left the bar the night before, they assumed he was going straight home. They give it a few more hours, and when there's still no sign of Dakota, his friends decided to call his parents, who live out of state in Maryland, and together they decide something isn't right, and so they reach out to the police to file a missing persons report. Days go by, and Dakota's phone is still off. There's no activity on any of his social media accounts. Dakota's parents decide it's in their best interest to come to Pittsburgh in hopes of finding their son. He is described as 5 feet 8 inches tall, Caucasian, and 145 pounds with brown hair, blue eyes, and a chin-strap beard with short, buzz-cut hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans, a red shirt, and tan moccasins. 
His loving mom describes him as very active and would make friends with everyone he meets. He worked full-time, lived on his own, and was attending college full-time to earn his master's degree in Pittsburgh, which was the city he loved. He was very active in swimming, running, biking, and loved music and dancing. He enjoyed life to the fullest and trusted pretty much everyone. His future plans included attending law school, traveling and getting married and starting a family. At first, police pointed to the fact that Dakota is a 23-year-old adult and has the right to disappear. Five long and painful days go by and his family finally gets a report made and the community gets involved. Finally, the Pittsburgh police initiate a massive search and kick off a full investigation. It's at this point, police begin to review footage from surveillance cameras to see if they could find any trace of Dakota. The only thing they are going off of is where his friends are reporting seeing him last. They eventually get footage of Dakota walking north, about 10 minutes away from the images bar that he was last at, looking down on his phone, texting, and seeming to be heading in the direction of his home, which was the north side of the city. From this footage, we know Dakota was walking alone, and judging from his body language, he seems to be fairly content. From this image, many close friends of Dakota suggest maybe he was texting using an app called Grinder. The police suspected that Dakota would have walked towards a bridge called the Roberto Clemente Bridge if he was heading home. But before walking across the bridge, it's suspected that Dakota walked down a set of stairs which are connected to the bridge that led close to the river. Police assume he took these stairs leading under the bridge to urinate and this is where police believe he accidentally fell into the freezing cold water and drowned. They believe that this could have been due to the fact that he was intoxicated along with the extremely cold temperatures of the water. So to me, I feel like this could have happened, but what kind of gets me is there never really was any evidence of this happening. It was all kind of just assumptions and then suspicion. And like from the surveillance video, he seems to be walking pretty well, being that he was so intoxicated. So did he really accidentally fall in the river? Yeah, I agree with you. However, the stairs are pretty steep leading down to the river. What if they were slippery from the ice or the cement along the river was icy? Personally, I've walked across that specific bridge in the winter and it's so much colder closer to the river. Plus, he was very intoxicated, but like you said, Ricky, police never released or found from what we know any other surveillance footage of Dakota around the bridge. I actually looked up the locations of the surveillance cameras on the Roberto Clemente Bridge, and there's a camera right above the set of stairs that police believe he used to go under the bridge. So you should clearly be able to see someone walking down or towards the bridge. But from what we know, they never saw Dakota on any of this footage. Not on the bridge, not using the stairs, nothing. So how could they just assume that this is what happened? The police were still on the search for Dakota, and they assembled a canine unit to search all around the Clemente Bridge. The dog signaled that there could have been a body there, or maybe they sensed it was there at a time, 
So police brought in a river rescue team consisting of divers, but the search came up unsuccessful. So one thing to keep in mind when dealing with a drowning is that it can take a body between 14 and 20 days to resurface in water, between 40 and 50 degrees. And in some cases, it's taken up to five months for a body to resurface, so he could be anywhere if he was in the river. The overall coverage they would have to do to search the river would be extremely difficult, but they weren't giving up. Knowing this, the police bring in a sonar team, searching 120 miles up and down the river, but still coming up unsuccessful. The police then decide to put up some of their findings on social media and list a contact for any information on Dakota. Tips start coming in left and right, but all of them are coming up with false information. And then during the continuous search, police get a tip from an order that was placed through a food delivery service, with the delivery instructions stating, I was kidnapped several weeks ago on the north side. I found access to internet inside the house I'm being held at. I am being held inside the basement of this home. I need for you to call 911 and send police. Signed, Dakota James. He also left the address of the home that he was being held in. And after two weeks of this investigation, it led them to a hoax and linked to a 30-year-old man named Nathaniel Dunlap who thought it would be a good prank on his ex-wife who was living in Pittsburgh. Although we won't go into full detail because this is Dakota's case, this isn't his first time doing this. In two cases, he pretended to be her in online messages and claimed she was being held at gunpoint in her home by her husband and needed police help. Could you imagine the police pounding on your door and then it all just coming up as a hoax? We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime salad. And this person was sentenced to 30 months in prison. Finally, on March 6th, after 40 long and restless days, police get a call from a local woman. About 8.45 in the morning is when I saw the body. I had a dog on a chain and I was sitting out there relaxing like we do every morning. I was still in my pajamas and I saw something in the river. So I grabbed a dog's leash and I walked down to the river and that's when I noticed it was a body. Yep, I was screaming for my neighbor. I called 911 and they wanted me to keep following. I would have followed the body anyhow, but I kept following the body. I have a friend that has been very active following the investigation, and I called her and I said, did he have a red shirt on? Because the body popped up more, and I saw a lot of red at one point. And um, 
That's when I, I assumed it was Dakota. The day Dakota's body was found, his mother, Pamela, was watching the news live when they showed a body was found in the river. She knew right away that this was her son. The strange thing is, the area of the Ohio River where Dakota's body was found was already thoroughly searched by boat and drone. His body is examined by the medical examiners and determined to be an accidental drowning. The police finally had their missing person, and the case was immediately closed. The Pittsburgh police theorized James fell into the river while crossing a bridge near the city center and drowned. They believed his body traveled for almost 10 miles and even went through a dam before its discovery. At this point, the mother can't believe it. There is no way her son drowned. Dakota was an athlete, academically gifted, and a champion swimmer. And in her mind, there is no way Dakota would have drank enough to have fallen in the river and drowned. Dakota's mother then makes the following statement on the news. Today we are here to say that our son Dakota did not get drunk, cross four lines of a highway, a cement barrier, walk down approximately 30 steps to urinate, and then accidentally fall into the river and drown. To us, this is a homicide, and we will continue to look for the answers on why and by whom. So this is where the story starts to get really interesting. Dakota's parents bring in their own private investigator, led by private pathologist Dr. Cyril Wecht. The independent investigation comes as part of a television docuseries called Smiley Face Killers, The Hunt for Justice, which aired on Oxygen. The investigators believe Dakota's death could be the work of a group they're referring to as the Smiley Face Killers. In this series, one of the detectives state they have uncovered significant physical and forensic evidence leading us to believe this case was not an accident. The evidence the investigators brought forward was not mentioned whatsoever by the original investigation. The autopsy photographs the team has reviewed showed ligature marks on Dakota's neck, indicating the possibility of strangulation. With this newfound evidence, James' parents say that they would like to speak with the medical examiner and want the Pittsburgh Police Department to reopen Dakota's case. However, the medical examiner refused to speak with the parents. Dr. Wecht theorized in what he called pure conjecture, which by definition means a statement or an idea which is unproven but is thought to be true. I mean, it does paint a picture when we go back to what physical evidence they actually came across. And it makes you think, maybe this was just easier for everyone to believe this was all an accident. If you think about it, that would mean they don't have to look for a killer who could be out there. Or like the other option, could it have been a suicide? Was he depressed? Was his emotions high that he just wasn't himself being that he was that drunk? And of course, I'm not the one to judge or lean one way or the other. I just feel like how James's mom feels. There's got to be more to this case. Going back to the title of the series, Smiley Face Killers, investigators find a similar pattern between Dakota's case and other cases dating back to 1997. The investigators believe the deaths could be a work of a group called the Smiley Face Killers, like we mentioned before. 
In these cases, the bodies are all young, athletic, academically gifted young men who go out for a night of drinking and they're later found dead floating in the river. Police believe the majority of these cases were caused by accidental drowning, just like Dakota's case. They all have one strange thing in common, a spray-painted smiley face found near each of the suspected crime scenes. Investigators look into the path where Dakota's body would have had to travel from the Roberto Clemente Bridge through the Emsworth Back Channel Dam to where his body was found almost 10 miles down the river without anybody seeing it or search crews coming across it. Investigators find it hard to believe Dakota's body could have made it this far, submerged in the water for more than 40 days, traveling 10 miles through a dam and leaving almost no external damage to his body whatsoever. So this series also brings up a few good points. As I mentioned, the body would have to travel through a dam, so they looked in to see if the dam's gates would be opened or closed when the body would have passed through, or how high they were. They request the Lockmaster records for the information around this time frame. Once they were able to get the records of the dam's gates, it was found four of the gates were only open one foot high and two of them were open two and a half feet. If the body were to pass through the fast flowing water, it would be very unlikely Dakota's body would be able to make it through without noticeable damage, but there was no damage. In fact, the investigation team caught up with a few members of the river rescue team who were on the scene when Dakota's body was found. When asked about the condition of his body, they said it was honestly the best condition they have ever seen in over 12 bodies they found in the same area. In their minds, there is no way his body could have been in the water for 40 days. Yeah, and these guys are experts. They've seen bodies in all types of conditions, so they know what they're looking at. So if this was an act of a killer, could he have been kidnapped, killed, and then later placed in the river past the dam? I feel like this case leaves us with so many questions, even more now that we're taking a second look at things. Yeah, it does. More than ever, especially after the other experts dove a little deeper into this case. It has us left with so many questions, like, what was he looking at on his phone? Was he picked up? And the explanation of the dam? How did his body fit through the small opening of the dam gates? And the ligature marks on his neck? It all remains a mystery for now. We really feel for Dakota's family and hope they get the answers that they're looking for soon. As of right now, the family is fighting for the city of Pittsburgh to reopen the case as a homicide and investigate it further. But this case continues to be closed and remains as an accidental drowning. His parents still believe there's more to what happened to Dakota, being that the police never really had full proof of exactly what happened. Dakota's family has started a foundation called the Dakota James Foundation. The foundation was started to promote more camera surveillance in the city, better police procedures, and improve support for families of missing people. On their site, they even sell bracelets for $5, and 100% of the donations will go towards bettering the city's security and safety. We'll post a link to their foundation on our website. So this concludes our episode of the mysterious death of Dakota James. As always, you can find pictures of what we came across on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com. 
You're also invited to join us on our Crime Salad Facebook discussion group, where you can post links to cases that you think are interesting or share anything crime-related and meet other true Crime Salad investigators just like yourself. And feel free to invite a friend. And if you'd like to help support Crime Salad, write us a five-star review wherever you're listening to us now to help other listeners find us. Remember to follow us on Instagram and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the bloodlust, all the pain.